Well, welcome again to the Cory Doctorow podcast. It has been a while. I'm a very naughty podcaster, but, you know, as Christmas crept up on me and my class and my uh, two overdue novels and everything else kind of overtook my life, uh, it meant that my podcasting had to go for a little while, as did all of my socializing and practically everything else I did. So, um... Now I'm back, and life is a little more sane. I turned in both books, albeit they both need a rewrite, but I turned them in. They have complete manuscripts. Life is good. And um, and uh, my new class has started, and it's a great bunch of undergrads. And I'm kind of settled in, and I have a little time to myself to, to do a little podcasting, which makes me a very, very happy man. Now... This is going to be the most ambitious of my podcasting projects to date. I am going to read you the entirety of one of my novels. Uh, in this case, it's Eastern Standard Tribe. It's my second shortest novel, second longest novel, too. There, there's only three of them published so far. But it's my middle-length novel. It's about 60,000 words. So I'm figuring it's going to take, like, maybe if I do one 20-minute reading a week, like, five to six to seven months. So it's going to be a nice longitudinal project uh, with you and me reading this book aloud, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Um, Eastern Standard Tribe, I wrote the first uh, several thousand words on an airplane from London to San Francisco, wildly jet-lagged and uh, pretty unhappy. That had been a there was a lot of bad stuff going on in my life then, and I wrote this kind of thing in a fever haze, and I wrote literally until my battery died on my old toilet seat iBook. And then months later, I picked that, that chunk up, and I looked at it again, and I went, wow, that's really good, I should write the rest of it. And it turned out to be a novel. I wrote it 250 words a day after that, just just one page a day, and I missed one day. I started it in early August, and I finished three days before Christmas. It was really something, um, and I had a great mailing list of people who I sent my page to, a couple hundred people. I did that for part of my next novel, Someone Comes to Town, Someone Leaves Town, and a novel that has yet to be finished, something called User Bin God. For the most part, I, I have now started just sort of keeping it to myself while I work. I send it out in chunks, you know, I'll send the treatment out to some friends, and then I'll send the outline out, and then I'll send out, you know, the first few chapters and so on. But I don't do that daily thing with my friends anymore. But I do continue to write every day. I think it's a great discipline. So um, my big news, and uh, and the thing that I'm really excited about this week, is that my new short story collection, Overclocked, Stories of the Future Present, from Thunder's Mouth, a division of Avalon, which was just bought out this morning by Perseus. There's a kind of mergers and acquisitions mania in New York this, this uh, season, it seems. Uh, my new book, Overclocked, Stories of the Future Present, is out. Uh, I got a box of them this week. They should be showing up in stores any day now. Reviews are starting to show up universally, very positive reviews. And it's stories that you've read here. Um, it's print crime and After the Siege, and When Sysadmins Ruled the Earth, and um, Anda's Game, and iRobot, and iRobot. They're stories that I've had on the podcast. Uh, they're stories that were largely published online. And, you know, they're, they're in a new incarnation as, uh, as print. And as before, I've got a website for them, and you can go and download all those stories in ebook forms, and you're encouraged to remix them and change them and put them in new forms if you want, or make fanfic or fan films. Someone who's doing a little fan radio adaptation of one of the stories that I'm really excited about. And um, 
and anything else you want to do, uh, just as long as you're not charging money for it. And if you want to do that, just talk to me, and we'll figure out what the license goes for. But it's it's cool. Uh, I'm really, really excited by the book. It looks great. I mean, it's a beautiful book. They got the URL for Boing Boing wrong on the cover, and that was my fault. I just didn't see it when they sent me the author copy, which, I don't know, I guess we'll fix it in the next edition. I guess we've got to sell this edition out so we can bring out the next edition. Uh, there's some signings. I've got a signing in Toronto on February the 1st at Baca Books. And I've got a signing on February the 8th in San Francisco at Borderlands Books with Rudy Rucker. And uh, still TBA for dates and places, uh, San Diego in March, um, somewhere around Duke University, North Carolina, also in March. Um, and uh, there was another one. San Diego Duke, maybe that's it. I know there's another one I'm missing in there somewhere. Oh, yeah, Los Angeles, of course. Uh, we're going to do something at USC in early February as well. So uh, that's Vancouver, Toronto, uh, Raleigh-Durham, uh, San Diego, San Francisco, and Los Angeles signings and events. And wherever else my, my uh, speaking schedule takes me, I'll see if I can put something together. Um, some other cool stuff coming out from this. Uh, there's a mini-comic of print crime drawn by a local illustrator that uh, we're going to be giving away for free with uh, signed copies of the books. There's going to be uh, the local comic shop here, Secret Headquarters, will take orders for signed copies of the books and they'll mail them to you along with this mini-comic. It's very cool. And we're going to put the PDF up so you can print and fold your own version of the mini-comic. Uh, there's also signed copies going to be available through Baca Books in Toronto if you're Canadian, so you'll be able to, to mail order them a little more cheaply. Uh, there have been two recent publications of stories from this collection. Uh, print Crime... Um, well, so Print Crime, there's that mini-comic, and After the Siege has just been published. Um, After the Siege is, of course, one of the first stories, if not the first story I read on this podcast, and it's just been published in in words uh, on the Infinite Matrix website. That's also where my, uh, my story, I, Robot, was first published, along with many other stories that I'm very happy with, um, something Charlie Strauss and I wrote called Appeals Court, and the first three chapters of Down and Out in the Magic Kingdom before it saw print, and a number of other things. Uh, the website for Overclocked, well, I haven't gone live with it, but you, my podcasting audience, are welcome to go have a look. It's craphound.com slash overclocked, uh, all lowercase. So that's it. That's the long lead-up. They're going to be shorter from now on, because mostly they're just going to be news about what's going on with, with uh, Overclocked and little bits and pieces here and there. Uh, and from now on, you're just going to hear mostly Eastern Standard Tribe, and that's what I'm going to read you now. Chapter 1. I once had a Tai Chi instructor who explained the difference between Chinese and Western medicine thus. Western medicine is based on corpses, things that you discover by cutting up dead bodies and pulling them apart. Chinese medicine is based on living flesh, things observed from vital, moving humans. This explanation, like all good propaganda, is stirring and stilted and not particularly accurate, and gummy as the hook from a Top 40 song, and sticky in your mind in the sleep-deprived noontime, when the world takes on an hallucinatory, hyper-real clarity. Like now, as I sit here in my underwear, on the roof of a sanatorium, in the backwoods off Route 128, far enough from the perpetual construction of Boston, that it's merely a cloud of dust, like a herd of distant buffalo charging the plains. Like now as I sit here with a pencil up my nose, thinking about homebrew lobotomies, and wouldn't it be nice if I gave myself one? Deep breath. The difference between Chinese medicine and Western medicine is the dissection versus the observation of the thing in motion. The difference between reading a story and studying a story is the difference between living the story and killing the story and looking at its guts. School. 
We sat in English class, and we dissected the stories that I'd escaped into, laid open their abdomens, and tagged their organs, covered their genitals with polite sterile drapes, recorded dutiful notes en masse that told us what the story was about, but never what the story was. Stories are propaganda, viri that slide past your critical immune system and insert themselves directly into your emotions. Kill them and cut them open, and they're as naked as a nightclub in daylight. The theme. The first step in dissecting a story is euthanizing it. What is the theme of this story? Let me kill my story before I start it so that I can dissect it and understand it. The theme of this story is, would you rather be smart or happy? This is a work of propaganda. It's a story about choosing smarts over happiness. Except if I give the pencil a push, then it's a story about choosing happiness over smarts. It's a morality play, and the first character is about to take the stage. He's a foil for the theme, so he's drawn in simple lines. Here he is. Chapter 2 Art Berry was born to argue. There are born assassins, bred to kill, raised on cunning and speed. They are the stuff of legend, remorseless and unstoppable. There are born ballerinas, confectionery girls, whose parents subject them to rigors every bit as intense as the tripwire and poison on which the assassins are reared. There are children born to practice medicine or law, children born to serve their nations and die heroically in the noble tradition of their forebears, children born to tread the boards or shred the turf or leave smoking rubber on the racetrack. Art's earliest memory, a dream. He is stuck in the waiting room of one of the innumerable doctors who attended him in his infancy. He is perhaps three, and his attention span is already as robust as it will ever be. And in his dream, which is fast becoming a nightmare, he is bored silly. The only adornment in the waiting room is an empty cylinder that once held toy blocks. Its label colorfully illustrates the blocks, which look like they'd be a hell of a lot of fun if someone hadn't lost them all. Near the cylinder is a trio of older children, infinitely fascinating. They confer briefly, then do something to the cylinder, and it unravels, extruding into the third dimension, turning into a stack of blocks. Aha, thinks Art, on waking, this is another piece of the secret knowledge that the older people possess, the strange magic that is used to operate cars and elevators and shoelaces. Art waits patiently for the next year for a grown-up to show him the blocks from pictures trick, but none ever does. Many other mysteries are revealed, each one more disappointingly mundane than the last. Even flying a plane seems easy enough, when the nice stew let him ride up in the cockpit for a while en route to New York. Art's awe at the complexity of adult knowledge fell away. By the age of five, he was stuck in a sort of perpetual terrible twos, fearlessly shouting no at the world's every rule, arguing the morals and reason behind them, until the frustrated adults whom he was picking on gave up and swatted him and or told him that that was just how it was. In the Easter of his sixth year, an itchy-suited and hard-shoed visit to church with his gran turned into a raging holy war that had the parishioners and the clergy arguing with him in, terms, in teams and relays. It started innocently enough. Why does God care if we take our hats off, Gran? But the nosy ladies in the nearby pews couldn't bear to simply listen in, and the argument spread like ripples on a pond, out as far as the pulpit, where the priest decided to squash the whole line of inquiry with some half-remembered philosophical word games from Descartes, in which the objective truth of reality is used to prove the beneficence of God, and vice versa, and which culminates with, I think, therefore I am. Father Ferlinghetti even managed to work it into the thread of the sermon, but before he could go on, Art's shrill little voice answered from within the congregation. 
Amazingly, the six-year-old had managed to assimilate all of Descartes' fairly tricksy riddles in as long as it took to describe them, and then went on to use those same arguments to prove the necessary cruelty of God, followed by the necessary non-existence of the Supreme Being, and Grand tried to take him home then, but the priest, who'd watched the Jesuits play intellectual table tennis and recognized a natural when he saw one, called him to the pulpit, whence Art took on the entire congregation, singly and in bunches, as they assailed his reasoning, and he built it back up, laying rhetorical traps that they blundered into with all the cunning of a cabbage. Father Ferlinghetti laughed and clarified the points when they were stuttered out by some marble-mouthed rhetorical amateur from the audience, then sat back and marveled as Art did his thing. Not much was getting done vis-a-vis sermonizing, and there was still the communion to be administered, but God knew it had been a long time since the congregation was engaged so thoroughly with coming to grips with God and what their faith meant. Afterwards, when Art was returned to a scandalized, thin-lipped gran, Father Ferlinghetti made a point of warmly embracing her and telling her that Art was welcome at his pulpit any time, and suggested a future in the seminary. Gran was amazed and blushed under her Sunday powder, and the clawed hand on Art's shoulder became a caress. The theme of the story is choosing smarts over happiness, or maybe happiness over smarts. Art's a good guy. He's smart as hell. That's his shtick. If he were a cartoon character, he'd be the pain-in-the-ass Poindexter who is all the time dispelling the mysteries that fascinate his buddies. It's not easy being Art's friend. Which is, of course, how Art, not his real name, ended up sitting 45 stories over the woodsy Massachusetts countryside, hot August wind ruffling his hair and blowing up the legs of his boxers, pencil in his nose, euthanizing his story, preparatory to dissecting it. In order to preserve the narrative integrity, Art, not his real name, may take some liberties with the truth. This is autobiographical fiction, after all, not an autobiography. Call me Art, not my real name. I am an agent provocateur in the Eastern Standard Tribe, though I've spent most of my life in GMT-9 and at various latitudes of Zulu, which means that my poor pineal gland has all but forgotten how to do its job, without that I drown it in melatonin precursors and treat it to multi-hour nine-kilolumen sessions in the glare of my travel lantern. The tribes are taking over the world. You can track our progress by the rise of minor traffic accidents. The sleep-deprived are terrible, terrible drivers. Daylight savings time is a widow-maker. Stay off the roads on Leap Forward's day. Here is the second chapter in the morality play. She's the love interest. Was. We just broke up, just before I got to the sanatorium. Our circadians weren't compatible. Chapter 4. April 3rd, 2022 was the day that Art nearly killed the first and only woman he ever really loved. It was her fault. Art's car was running low on lard after a week in the Benelux countries when the residents were all where the residents were all high net worth cholesterol cholesterol conscious codgers who guarded their arteries from the depredations of the fry trap as jealously as they squirreled their money away from the tax man. He was, therefore, thrilled and delighted to be back on British soil, Greenwich plus zero, where the grease ran like water and his runabout could be kept easily and cheaply fueled, and the vodka could run down his gullet instead of into the tank. He was in the Kensington High Street on a sleepy Sunday morning, GMT 0300 hours, 2100 hours back in Eastern Daylight Time, and the GPS was showing insufficient data points to even gauge traffic between his geolock and the Camden High where he kept his rooms. When the GPS can't find enough peers on the relay network to color its maps with traffic data, you know you've hit a sweet spot in the city's uber-circadian, a moment of grace when the roads are very nearly exclusively yours.
So he whistled a jaunty tune and swilled his coffeeum, a fad that had just made it to the UK, thanks to the loosening of rules governing the disposal of heavy water in the EU. The java just wouldn't cool off, remaining hot enough to guarantee optimal caffeine osmosis right down to the last drop. If he was jittery, it was no more so than was customary for Eastern Standard Tribalists at GMT plus zero, and he was driving safely and with due caution. If the woman had looked out before stepping off the curve and into the anemically thin road, if she hadn't been wearing stylish black in the pitchy dark of the curve before the Royal Garden Hotel, if she hadn't stepped right in front of his runabout, he would have merely swerved and sworn and given her a bit of a fright. But she didn't, she was, she did, and he kicked the brake as hard as he could, twisted the wheel likewise, and still clipped her hip side and sent her ass over tea kettle before the runabout did its own barrel roll, making three complete revolutions across the Kensington High before lodging in the Royal Garden Hotel's shrubs. Art was covered in scorching, scorching molten coffeeum, screaming and clawing at his eyes, upside down, when the porters from the Royal Garden opened his runabout's upside-down door, undid his safety harness, and pulled him out from behind the rapidly flaccid-ing airbag. They plunged his face into the ornamental birdbath, which had a skin of ice that shattered on his nose and jangled against his jawbones as the icy water cooled the coffeeum and stopped the terrible, terrible burning. He ended up on his knees, sputtering and blowing and shivering, and cleared his eyes in time to see the women, woman he'd hit being carried out of the middle of the road on a human travoise made of his, the porter's linked arms of red, wool, and gold brocade. "'Assholes!' she was hollering. "'I could have a goddamn spinal injury! You're not supposed to move me!' "'Look, miss,' one porter said, a young chap, with the kind of fantastic dentition that only an insecure teabag would ever pay for, teeth so white and flawless they strobed in the sodium, sodium street lamps. "'Look, we can leave you in the middle of the road, right, and not move you like we're supposed to, but if we do that, chances are you're going to get run over before the paramedics get here, and then you certainly will have a spinal injury and a crushed skull besides, like as not. Do you follow me?' "'You!' she said, pointing along an accusing finger at Art. "'You! Don't you watch where you're going, you fool! You could have killed me!' Art shook the water off his face and blew a mist from his stripping mustache. "'Sorry,' he said weakly. She had an American accent, Californian maybe, a litigious stridency that tightened his sphincter like an alum enema and miraculously flinched him of the urge to argue." "'Sorry!' she said, as the porters lowered her gently to the narrow strip, strip of turf out beside the sidewalk. "'Sorry! Jesus, is that the best you can do?' "'Well, you did step out in front of my car,' he said, trying to marshal some spine. She attempted to sit up, then slumped back down, wincing. "'You were going too fast!' "'I don't think so,' he said. "'I'm pretty sure I was doing forty-five. That's five clicks under the limit. Of course, the GPS will tell for sure.' At the mention of empirical evidence, she seemed to lose interest in being angry. Give me a phone, will you? Mortals may be promiscuous with their handsets, but for a tribalist, one's relationship with one's calm is deeply personal. Art would have sooner shared his underwear, but he had hit her with his car. Reluctantly, Art passed her his calm. The woman stabbed at the handset with the fingers of her left hand, squinting at it in the dim light. Eventually, she clamped it to her head. "'Johnny, it's Linda. Yes, I'm still in London. How's Trix out there? Good, good to hear. How's Mary Beth? Oh, that's too bad. Want to hear how I am?' She grinned devilishly. "'I just got hit by a car. No, just now, five minutes ago. Oh, of course I'm hurt. I think you broke my hip. Maybe my spine, too. Yes, I can wiggle my toes. Maybe he shattered a disc and it's sawing through the cord right now. Concussion?' 
Oh, I almost certainly have one of those. Pain and suffering, loss of enjoyment of life, of life, missed wages. She looked up at Art. You're insured, right? Art nodded miserably, fishing for an argument that would not come. Half a mil, easy. Easy. Get the papers going, will you? I'll call you back when the ambulance gets here. Bye. Love you too. Bye. 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 Johnny, I gotta go. Bye. She made a kissy noise and tossed the calm back at Art. He snatched it out of the air in a panic, closed its cover reverentially, and slipped it back in his jacket pocket. Come here, she said, crooking a finger. He knelt beside her. I'm Linda, she said, shaking his hand, then pulling it to her chest. Art, Art said. Art, here's the deal, Art. It's no one's fault, okay? It was dark, you were driving under the limit, I was proceeding with due caution, just one of those things, but you did hit me. Your insurer's going to have to pay out rehab, pain and suffering. You get it. That's going to be serious, Quan. I'll go splits with you. You play along. Art looked puzzled. Art, Art, Art. Art, Art, here's the thing, Art. Maybe you were distracted, lost, not looking. Not saying you were, but maybe. Maybe you were, and if you were, my lawyer's going to get that out of you. He's going to nail you, and I'll get a big, fat check. On the other hand, maybe you could just, you know, cop to it. Play along. You make this easy. We make this easy. Split it down the middle once my lawyer gets his piece. Sure, your premiums will go up, but there'll be enough there to cover both of us. Couldn't you use some ready cash? Lots of zeros. Couple hundred grand, maybe more. I'm being nice here. I could keep it all for me. I don't think. Sure you don't. You're an honest man. I understand. Art, art, art. I understand, art. But what has your insurer done for you lately? My Uncle Ed, he got caught in a threshing machine, paid his premiums every week for 40 years. What did he get? Nothing. Insurance companies? They're the great Satan. No one likes an insurance company. Come on, Art. Art, you don't have to say anything now. Just think about it. Okay, Art? She released his hand, and he stood. The porter with the teeth flashed them at him. Mad, he said. Just mad. Watch yourself, mate. Get your solicitor on the line. I will you. He slipped back. He slipped. He stepped back as far as the narrow sidewalk would allow, and fired up his calm and tunneled to a pseudonymous relay, bouncing the call off a dozen mixed masters. He was, after all, in deep cover as a Greenwich Mean tribalist, and it wouldn't do to have his enciphered packet's destination in the clear. A little traffic analysis, and his cover'd be blown. He velcroed the keyboard to his thigh and started courting. Treppen. Any UK solicitors on the channel? Ginkgo. Lawyers. Heh. Kill em all. Especially Eurofag fixers. Hunter. Hey, I resemble that remark. Trepan. Hunter, are you a UK lawyer? Ginkgo. Use auto-cancel, dude. Lawyers. Liars. Suck. Channel pound auto-cancel. Chatterbot with all the major legal systems on the back end. Trepan. Whatever. I need a human lawyer. Trepan. Hunter, are you there? Ginkgo. He's off-raping humanity. Ginkgo. Fuck lawyers. Trepan. Slash shitlist Ginkgo. Ginkgo added to Trepan's shitlist. Use slash unshit Ginkgo to see messages again. Ginkgo shitlisted. Ginkgo shitlisted. Ginkgo shitlisted. Ginkgo shitlisted. Ginkgo added to Junta's shitlist. Use unshit Ginkgo to see messages again. Ginkgo added to Thomas Hawk's shitlist. Use unshit Ginkgo to see messages again. Ginkgo added to Open Colon's shitlist. Use unshit Ginkgo to see messages again. Ginkgo added to Jackyard Backoff shitlist. Use unshit Ginkgo to see messages again. Ginkgo added to Freddy Kugel's shitlist. Use unshit Ginkgo to see messages again. Open colon. Trolls suck. Ginkgo away. Ginkgo shitlisted. Ginkgo shitlisted. Ginkgo shitlisted. Ginkgo has left channel pound EST dot chatter. Junta, you were saying? 
Junta, private, file transfer. Receive credential from Junta, verifying. Credential identified, solicitor, registered with the Law Society to practice in England and Wales, also registered in Australia. Trepin, private. Junta, I just hit a woman while driving the Kensington High Street. Her fault. She's hurt. Wants me to admit culpability in exchange for half the insurance. Advice? Junta, private. I beg your pardon? Trepin, private, Junta. She's crazy. She just got off the phone with some kind of lawyer in the States. Says she can get five times ten to the five at least, and will split with me if I don't dispute. Junta, private, bloody Americans, no offense. What kind of instrumentation recorded it? Trepin, private, Junta. My GPS, maybe some C-cams, eyewitnesses, maybe. Junta, private. And you'll say what, exactly? You were distracted, fiddling with something? Trepin, private, Junta, I guess. Junta, private. You're looking at three points off your license. Statutory increase in premiums totaling uh, EU 2 times 10 to the 5 over 5 years. How's your record? Transferring credential driving record to Junta. Receipt confirmed. Junta, private. Hmm. Junta, private. Nothing outrageous. Were you distracted? Trepin, private, Junta. I guess, maybe. Junta, private. You guess. Well, who would know better than you, right? My fee's 10%. Stop guessing. You were distracted. Overtired. It's late. Regrettable. Sincerely sorry. Have her solicitor contact me directly. I'll meet you here at 1000 uh, 100 hours GMT, 0400 hours EDT, to go over it with you. Yes? Agreeable? Trepin, private, Junta. Agreed. Thanks. Junta, private, file transfer. Receive smart contract from Junta. Verifying. Smart contract representation agreement verified. Trepin. Join Pound Auto Council. Councilbot. Welcome, Trepin. How can I help you? Transferring smart contract representation agreement to Councilbot. Receipt confirmed. Trepin. Private. Councilbot. What is the legal standing of this contract? Councilbot. Private. Smart contract representation agreement is an ISO standard representation agreement between a client and solicitor for purposes of litigation in the UK. Auto Council. Private. File transfer. Received Auto Council tra- received representation agreement FAQ UK 2.3.2 January 22 from Auto Council. Trepin join pound EST dot chatter. Trepin private Junta it's a deal. Transferring key sign smart contract representation agreement to Junta. Receipt confirmed. Trepin quit. Gotta go. Thanks. Trepin has left channel EST dot chatter. Gotta go. Thanks.